0: Good, good, good. We're back. We're back. We're back. Great. Hey guys, before we dive into the word today, uh, I have an announcement. We've been talking, I've sort of been like leaking information about this as we go, and if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, you probably saw us post a bit about it, um, a bit more about it, um, but we are in a process of sort of creating and putting together a plan that has, uh, or a dream, it's really a dream, it's becoming a plan, but a dream that has been in the works for a number of years in my heart, uh, and and we've had the opportunity to Develop a concept for what we're calling the Clarksburg Yard. Um, and if you've heard us talk about this before, it's essentially an opportunity to build a place making space for people in our community that specifically targets high school and middle school students in order to give them a place to belong and connect. With one another, and so um, I've shared a bit about this. That this was sort of one of our um, one of our sort of financial goals, where we're going to be investing some capital in order to make this happen. But we are actually turning the front grassy area in front of our church into sort of an outdoor venue, placemaking space. Um, in order for people in our community to connect together, again, specifically our high school and middle school students that go to school within a one mile radius of this place. Um, There's 4,000 students, middle school and high school students in the area, and we want, and, and, and essentially, if they live in Clarksburg, there's nowhere for them to go right? We do not have a library. We don't have a rec center. Um, at the Clarksburg um, village area, there are signs that say like, hey, no minors, no unaccompanied minors, which is fine. And businesses have a right to put that up. And I understand um, the problem is, is that they just really don't have anywhere to go and to connect and develop, develop relationships um, with each other. And we want to we want to solve that problem. We want to be good news to those students who are there. Um, so we essentially are putting together a plan that has sort of four parts to it. One is sort of this outdoor space that's the grassy area. We're hoping to put out picnic tables and, and yard games and fire pits and things like that for them to connect in those space. Um, we also, it's going to have a component uh, that has a community garden for them to, uh, not just, again, it's not just for students, but we're specifically viewing through the lens of students, um, a community garden um, as well as a hub for service hours. If you're not aware, all high school and middle school students are required to do a certain number of service, community service learning hours um, before they graduate. And there's a a lot of opportunity to do that outside of Clarksburg, which is great, and they can continue to engage in that way. Um, But for students who are kind of like, don't drive, or they have parents where it's hard to get around with those parents, it gets tricky. And so we want to create an opportunity to connect with those students and give them opportunities to serve in their community right here in Clarksburg. And there's a lot of research done about the idea that if students have ownership over the place that they live live in. They actually learn to take care of that place. That's why parents give their kids chores. right? They learn to take care of that place and find uh, value and respect in that place, but they also learn identity. They they, they cultivate their understanding of who they are and the importance of engaging in a community. And so we see that as a great opportunity to build relationships with them and to connect with them. Um, And then the last final piece of this whole thing is that we want to create a cafe. And so uh, this, if you see from this picture, uh, that is a, a drawing that was done by Claire who is not in the room right now, she's uh, hosting, but she's a fantastic artist and she, this isn't the type of art that she typically does, but I was like, hey Claire, could you just like do it for us? And she was like, yeah, I'll just do it. Uh, So she put together a few like concept renderings in order to give us a visual picture of what this could look like. But we're actually looking at turning um, sort of the downstairs garage part of that third building that's on the property into a cafe in order to sort of host and serve like so much connection and community is done based on food. And so we wanted to sort of create a space um, for them to engage. The other part of the cafe is that it hopefully will generate some revenue in order to help sustain the long-term goals of the project um, so that that we can keep doing it and keep engaging and connecting in that way. Um, So anyways, that's the Clarksburg Yard and uh, we actually launched our social media. So we're starting to talk about it, starting to get ideas out there for people. You can follow it if you are on Instagram, you can follow it at the Clarksburg Yard. Like how cool is that that we got that Insta hand those of you who are not on insta like i don't even know like why does this matter but it's a big thing we're very excited about it um and so we're starting to talk about it um uh, and if you are a part of our newsletter and you get a weekly newsletter from us you'll actually get a link to the live website this coming week that'll give you an opportunity to read the full concept paper which is like a 10 page paper with like footnotes so like be prepared, but it's good. Like we worked on it for a year to try to really solidify the concept of what we're going after and why it is in this space, this stuff, um, why in the Clarksburg community this is the thing that we really want to go after. So um, that's going to go live this week. Our goals right now, what we're currently working on with the Clarksburg Yard, is we're interviewing architects. Um, The inside of this space needs to be um, renovated to be a cafe and there's a whole process that the county has us go through and so we're currently interviewing architects and once we are able to get our architectural plans in we can solidify our budget and start fundraising for this project our hope is that we can connect we have some church money set aside for that but it is a big project and so it's bigger than what our church alone can um, support and uh, that's actually okay (laughs) okay Because one of the things that we really want in this whole project is not for it to be something that is for our congregation, by our congregation, right? That's not the point. Uh, We want this to be a place for the community. And if we're going to do that, we can't just be like, look, we built this for you. Come use it. That can't be the point. It has to be something that's developed um, both in collaboration together so that we can do this. So um, when we get to our fundraising part, we have a lot of grants that we're looking at, applying. For um, we've talked to I've talked to several different county level people as well as, well as so we started to tap on the doors of some state delegates, which I know sounds like crazy, um, but in order to talk about hey this this we need funding for this project and we really believe that this is going to make a difference in the lives of uh, the residents that are here, um, and we've gotten some feedback that like we're not crazy, <laughs> we're not crazy like this is really something that we could do that would make. Um, a difference in our community. So we're really excited about it. Um, So we're looking at some different grants, some donor development, um, and some crowdsourcing from the Clarksburg community in order to to sort of make this happen. So uh, all that to say, if you have any leads on grants that you think would fit with this, um, on architects that you're like, hey, my buddy's an architect, like tell me, uh, just, just let me know about that afterwards because that is the next level of our project. That's what we're, we're working on right now. So, um, okay, so we don't always do this, but I would love to just open it up briefly. Does anybody have any questions, like right off the bat, that they want answered about the Clarksburg Yard? Great, everyone, oh yeah, 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 good. Yeah, that's great. So the original concept was to put the patio over top of the garden and to get rid of the garden. Um, but as we began to talk with different, particularly donor developers and stuff, they were like, actually, you have a phenomenon. like, if you include the garden, you actually become eligible for a lot more um, grant and funding, that there's some great things that could happen because of that. So even though the patio is currently set up here, we'll actually keep the garden right there and the patio will move down to this way. So that'll be really neat. We also um, got approved for um, funding from Montgomery County Trees. Um, That's what it's called, Montgomery County Trees. But they're actually coming in the fall, December, to plant 21 trees on the property in a way that does not interfere with the important things that are happening underground. Some of you know, like, wait, there's, like, septic and water and stuff like that yeah we check that all out but in a way that doesn't interfere with those things to create shade in that area um so it's not so blazing hot some of you know that when we've done um our worship services outside you're like it gets hot out there uh and so and so we're really excited that they're donating those trees and planting them for us and um so yeah any other questions that was a great one stephanie thank you yeah we're in it. We've started. <laughs> what, it, what? Start date for what part of the project? The project's been broken up into several phases. Which one are you most interested in? OK, great. The renovation of the building. Um, so like I said, we have several different phases. Um, we are already running some of the SSL hour uh, stuff. So uh, Alicia, who is up here singing with us, she's right there. Hi, Alicia. Um, she actually is in charge of, of creating some of those SSL hour projects for our students. Um, we have She has 12 planned between now and September. And all of them are booked. Like the second we put them on the website and said, hey, students, here's some SSL hour opportunities, they immediately got filled up by students not our kids I mean our kids are great and we want them to participate in these but it was that's the demand that was in the community for these types of projects so those things are already running Um, When it comes to the renovation of the actual space, a lot of that's gonna depend on the funding. We would love, 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 um, I would love to have it up and running like the cafe open beginning of October. People are telling me that that's an unrealistic expectation, that that's not gonna happen. Um, And so so what we're more so probably going to happen is that we'll have it open and running by the spring, that's what we're hoping for. Um, So then I guess construction for that, Anna, December, is that kind of right, December? But again, a lot of that depends on making sure that we have funding. Uh, We don't want to start the, well, we've broken our funding development into four different phases, and we have to hit that development and that funding goal before we step into the next one. So right now we're in, we we did the kickstart where we started some of the SSL hour projects and um, finding out about who we're gonna use for the architect and all that stuff. The next bit of our phase is the build phase, and that is making sure that we have the funding for building and and all of those pieces. So is that a good answer? I mean, not a good answer, but a clear answer. Okay, any other questions? Guys, I'm really excited about this project. There is part, half of it terrifies me, and I shake in my boots, and I'm like, this is nuts. Like, what we're just a little church. Like, look at us. We're not big, and we're taking on this thing, but the doors that are opening in just really random ways. Like, I was in a, I was in a webinar for nonprofit fundraising um, this past week that was put on by the county, and I had asked a question that alluded to this project, right? Immediately, the executive director of a big philanthropy organization, uh, messaged me on the Zoom and was like, hey, can you shoot me an email? And so I shot her an email immediately when the webinar shut down. She called the church number to talk to me and was like, hey, tell me more about this project. And I'm like, "You, Hello welcome to Clarksburg Church, so it's just really interesting, it's really interesting, like, some of the doors that are being opened, and, and so if you can continue to just pray that God would continue to open the doors, that we'd be able to step forward in this thing. Yeah, Janine. Yeah, I just had one question. So, is the intended audience really, like, the, the teens, the students in the community, or is that kind of a jumping off point, and then, like, families in the community, like, all of Yeah, yeah. Yes, I would say that our primary lens that we're developing the project for is high school and middle school students. But we don't wanna do that to the detriment of other residents who want to participate, partly because high school and middle school students don't have a lot of money. And so we do want to create a cafe experience that will be, will service all people. We're excited about the opportunity of moms with young kids or dads with young kids to come in in the morning and to get their coffee and the kids run around and play outside. We're excited for the opportunity for people in the community, maybe even uh, connecting with some of the seniors in the community, uh, if they enjoy gardening, to have that be a place that they can connect together. And we're excited about the opportunity of families and adults all sort of engaging in this space. But as we Develop it. We're trying to prior, like like lead with high school and middle school students, and then let everyone else also connect in this space. Is that is that yeah. is that clear? Okay. Yep. All right. Cool. I'm very excited about this um, opportunity, and I'm glad that we are on a journey to to do this together. So, all right, great. We're going to go ahead and dive into the book of Ephesians, and we've been in the book of Ephesians for like. I don't know months and we've traveled far together Um, and so we're sort of getting to the end of the book Uh, but uh, if you remember the book of Ephesians actually begins with this really deep theology talking about the gospel story talking about what it is that Christ has done for us who Christ is and Paul the author has spent sort of the first half of the book on what the whole story of the gospel is all about who Christ is what he has done, what type of family we now are, um, and and what type of family we've been invited into because of Christ. That because of Christ, we have a new humanity. Now, in the second half of this book, there's actually a shift that starts where Paul starts talking about what does it look like to live with this new humanity. That now, because of Christ, we are new humans, how do we live this out? We are called to be holy, that we're called to be this contrast community that sort of intentionally is situated inside of a culture, but we're living differently in plain sight. And along the way, um, we've sort of looked at some of the places where scripture in, in the book of Ephesians and scripture sort of gets taken out of context and as a result gets sort of weaponized, right? Um, for example, last week we looked at how Paul starts into this do's and don'ts list on behavioral sort of things, um, that he sort of, uh, says, hey, don't do this. Like, we're not going to do that anymore. And what we've done is we've sort of taken that and we've used it as a weapon. We've sort of said, hey, there's this do and don't behavioral go." Uh, uh, club, and sort of we've used that to build walls and sort of said, hey, this is the Jesus club, and this is the line around the Jesus club. And if you do that, then you're out. And if you don't do that, then you are in. And if Paul knew that that's how we've talked about that, and that was how we've used his scripture, Paul would be deeply, deeply saddened because instead paul's goal was sort of to set up some healthy parameters right we talked about the lion king where mufasa goes to simba and says everything the light touches but don't go in the shadow land right and so paul sort of used that to set up some healthy boundaries and healthy parameters to say if you want to stay free and you want to stay alive then this is the kind of life that you're going to live right it's sort of like parents who set up healthy boundaries for their toddler so that they don't kill themselves. Like that's what Paul is doing, right? His intention was never to say you're in or you're out. That was never his intention. But um, if Paul was to see how we use this, he would probably be really, really saddened by that. Um, Paul would probably be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait a second. The point isn't to look at the boundary and stay at the boundary and be the gatekeepers of who's in and who's out to the family of God. The point is that we are supposed to all be reorienting ourselves to Christ, to focusing on him as the center and running after Christ. And so, our focus shouldn't be where do we draw the line on who is in and who is out. It should be on how do we live in this freedom that Christ has given us. Okay, so as we look at chapter five, uh, we started looking at chapter five last week. Paul starts talking about this new humanity that in order to live out this new humanity, we're to be wise, not unwise, that we're to know the will of God, not be foolish, and that we're to be filled with the Spirit. And then he talked about how that you know your life is connected to the spirit when it's connected to music or scripture. And you're giving thanks and then you're submitting to one another in your daily relationships. And that's the part that we sort of said pause on and we're going to dive into today. Last week we talked about all those other things. That was a lot of things we talked about last week. Uh, And this week, we're going to talk about those relationships, sort of what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit and, as a result, live with this mutual submission in our day-to-day relationships. Um, And this verse that we're going to look at, or these verses that we're going to look at, is kind of like, um, it's one, these passages have won the Olympics for the sport of missing the point, all right? So, like, we're gonna look at them again today, and we're gonna we're gonna see what Paul has to say. Paul talks about three different relationships. He talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife. He talks about the relationship between a father and a child, and a master and a slave. And like, while I was walking this out, I realized there's no way I can cover all three of these. So, we're just gonna focus today on the husband and the wife. Um, and if you're like, oh, I'm not married, this applies still. Like, what we're going to talk about still applies, um, but we're going to focus on this one. Now, Paul says a lot about these three relationships. We're going to dive into all of them, but first, I want to show you with a picture of how we oftentimes read the passage we're going to look at. This is what it looks like. We oftentimes read scripture, this particular passage, this way that we sort of have all these redacted things that we say, oh, no, 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 no. we're not going to talk about that. So we just say, wives, submit, to, submit yourselves to your own husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife. And then we jump down. We say, husbands, love your wives. And then we jump down again. However, each one of you must also love his wife, and the wife must respect her husband. Done. This is how we oftentimes read this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is really dangerous. And the reason this is so dangerous is because it leads to, it has led to all sorts of abuse, all sorts of oppression on women, all sorts of misunderstandings about how the dynamic of these and the inter- interconnectivity of these two genders should operate together all sorts of things. In fact, if you continue on and you read the passage about uh, children and their fathers and slaves and their masters, those passages, those passages have also been taken completely out of context. And as a result, they've been used to justify 400 years of slavery, of the kidnapping and abuse and brutal enslavement of African peoples that built this country. They've been used to manipulate and justify the harsh treatment of children while empowering, controlling parents. And it's heartbreaking. They've been used to silence women as the second half of the image of God. And these and this sort of treatment of this passage is part of the reason why people are like, I'm done. I'm done with the church. I'm done with Jesus. It has caused so much. Damage. But what Paul is actually talking about in this passage, if we would like actually read it, like really, really read it, what Paul is talking about here is actually this beautiful countercultural picture that is void of hierarchy. It is void of abuse and oppression, and it is filled with love and life. And so we're going to look at it again and we're going to really read it. We're going to look at it again, and hopefully we'll all get this beautiful picture of what it looks like in our daily relationships when we're filled with the Spirit and inspired and empowered to live with mutual submission. Okay, so what I want you to do first is I want you to open your Bibles if you have them. It can be an app. It can be a regular Bible, whatever. And I just want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5, and you're going to go to verse 21, all right? And this is what I want you to look at. When you look at this passage, I want you to tell me, there should be, in most of your Bibles, there will be a section breaking, like a break, like the section header that breaks up the section. I want you to tell me, raise your hand, if that, the break on the section is before verse 21. Is it before verse 21? Before verse 21? Okay, good. Now, raise your hand if it's after verse 21. Okay, after verse 21. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, this is huge. All right, this is actually really, really important. Uh, And you may be like, she's majoring on a minor. No, 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 this is really important. First of all, I just, as we're learning to read our Bibles together, those section breakups in the chapters, the verses, the verse numbers, the chapter numbers, the section headers, none of those existed in the original context, right? Those were added later to quickly be able to reference things, to group things together in sections and all that kind of stuff. There is a huge difference in how you read this text depending on where that break happens, right? Because what Paul is talking about at the beginning of five, what we looked at last week, he's talking about being filled with the spirit. And then he throws in this line in verse, it's not thrown in, but he he says this line, it leads like kind of like if you're being filled with the spirit, then you're going to submit one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. That's fine. Now, if the chapter break happens right there after that verse, then you start with wives submit to your husbands. And it seems like this whole separate section, that the, the, the main thesis of that section is wives submit to your husbands. Now, think for a second. If that section break happens before and it happens instead, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we talk about wives. And then we talk about about husbands, right? This is a totally different understanding. We cannot forget that this conversations about husbands and wives is actually tied to this larger context where Paul is telling us to look at like, like that when we live out this new humanity and when we are filled with the spirit, the thing that happens first is that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the big chapter heading. Do you see how that changes the way that we read this? In this new humanity, we are going to be people who mutually submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And what Paul is saying is that if the main person that we're being transformed to become is an almighty God who submitted himself to a human body to take on flesh, to die out of love for God's creation, then What we're being called to do is exactly that. That in this new humanity, we check our own agenda. That we check our own selfish ambition. And what I want to do, and we sort of come around to the needs of others, to love them and put them before ourselves. This is Paul's big overarching theme. That's the main principle that Paul is talking about, and he's saying this applies to everyone. Y'all. Y'all are going to submit to one another, right? There's thousands of different ways that this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ could apply in a thousand different relationships. I was preaching this to my girls the other day in the kitchen when they were about to kill each other. Will you please like submit to each other in love, right? It's not just the relationships Paul is talking about, but Paul chooses to translate this overarching principle And break it down into what it looks like in these three pairs of very common relationships that were experienced in a Roman household. And so we're going to look at that first one. When Paul addresses wives in verse 22 and then husbands in 25. But in this new humanity, it's marked by mutual submission. That We have marriages that are marked by mutual submission. So let's actually read this passage. So we got uh, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to yourself, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, culture has all sorts of things that they have pinned on this verse to talk about what this means, and for some of us, it gets a little scary. We're like, oh no, what are you going to say? There's a lot of ideas and a lot of fears that have been talked about. And I just want to tell you some of the ones that I have heard talked about uh, is that this means that the man should be the one who runs the checkbook. Uh, That this means that the man is the one who is supposed to be the one who gets the Bible out and initiates prayer every single time. That this means that the man is supposed to be the breadwinner and the woman is supposed to make the food and care for the babies. Um, I've seen all sorts of charts and graphs and umbrellas about how this hierarchy works. Do you know the umbrella one? Okay, some of you are like, yes. Okay, all sorts of umbrellas about how, uh, what headship looks like. Um, I even actually listened to a sermon this past week that was given uh, where someone, this this pastor, was talking about how the implications of this are that if a wife spends her afternoon cooking a four-course meal for her husband, and when her husband comes home, he says, no, I want pancakes, she should throw the whole meal away and then make him pancakes. I laughed at that. First of all, why would I spend the whole afternoon making a four-course meal? We're just having pancakes. No, this is not the point. But, like, there's all sorts of crazy implications of what we've pinned to this passage that Paul does not say. And so let's just look at the principle for each. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Oftentimes, we stop reading this passage with the first phrase, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And it becomes this justification for incredibly abusive, oppressive ideas that the wife needs to stay in an abusive relationship because she has to submit to her husband, right? Like this is the greatest fear of, of the pushing this to this place of evil. But it also is used to justify and make ideas about all sorts of different things. But if we understand that this call is to submit to her husband as she does the Lord, like we don't leave out that second part of the phrase, it starts to change things. First of all, the Lord, Jesus, God, he has no expectation of us waiting around all day to wait on him on hand and foot, right? Like we're not supposed to be just like waiting and waiting as obedient followers, what we all men and women are called to do is to celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ and use our skills and our talents to make something beautiful come out of it, right? And to celebrate that together, to make the most of every opportunity, that all the stuff that was previously said by Paul about our humanity, that that still applies, that following Jesus is to walk towards him and to serve him into a life of freedom. And that doesn't fall by the wayside once you become a wife. It's not like, hey, I'm free in Christ to be wise and use my skills and talents to, like, serve the world and to love one another and love our neighbors. And then all of a sudden when you become a wife, it's like, okay, now get in the kitchen and you can only do it in this way and you need to just be waiting with a cold beverage when your husband comes home. Like, I, I just don't think that that's what it looks like To serve the Lord. So why would it be, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord? The other thing about submitting to the Lord is that it's a decision that we make, right? It's a decision that we make that as we grow in our trust of the Lord, that the Lord shows us time and time again that, like, he proves that he's always acting in love for us and for our own good, we lay down our lives for Christ, that we sort of walk into that more and more, right? Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And for those of us who have learned to submit to Jesus, um, uh, 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 for those of us who have learned to submit to Jesus, it's not that then abuse is heaped on us. Instead of that, we lean into trusting that love. We welcome the guidance and the direction of the Lord, and we grow in that relationship with love and trust. And so if there's one day, a time where a conflict arises, where the wife, like, says, hey, I want to buy a red car, and the husband says, hey, no, I think blue car is best, right? A really simple example. But, right, sometimes the biggest fights are the simplest things, right? Someone could say, like, hey, wife, listen, I know that you want the red car, but verse 22 says that wives are supposed to submit, submit to their husbands. I guess that means we're getting the blue car. Someone just as easily could say, well, wait a second. What about verse 25? What about verse 25? And let's read that. It says in verse 25, like we've talked about the wives, but then it says in verse 25, husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you see what that's saying? Saying that wives, yeah, you're supposed to submit to your husbands, but husbands... Sorry, guys, you're supposed to die for your wives. Like, just as Christ did. Like, crucify yourself with excruciating pain, right? I think that's so much harder. I think that's so much worse. Yes, wives, let your husband um, uh, be the final say on those really difficult decisions. Sure. But what this is actually saying is that he is never going to make a decision to please himself. That in this new humanity, husbands, you're going to let go of all selfishness and all pride, and you're going to put the needs and the desires of your wife first. And the only reason that the husband would ever assert his authority is if the way that things are currently going is not good for her and they're going to lead to danger, that then he might step in and he might overrule something to care for her and to protect you both. And so Paul continues, he says, you know, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he continues and he talks about what that means. He says, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, this is an interesting description of what marriage looks like right? Because in our culture, typically, actually in any culture, typically marriage is pretty self-centered. Like whether it's our culture, or another culture, it doesn't matter. It's pretty self-centered the way we talk about marriage. In traditional cultures, marriage is about social obligations, like having children, providing financial security, or sort of like determining one's status in a community. And really, like it's all about how does your spouse help you accomplish things? That's what it's about. Now, in like a more modern understanding of marriage, um, marriage where marriage is like about passion and emotion and intimacy, um, the focus is actually the same thing, right? It's about how can my spouse help me fulfill those things? Different culture, same expectations. How can the other person help me fulfill the stuff that I value and meet cultural expectations, right? But in Scripture, Paul has this radically different view of marriage. It's totally countercultural. He says, in the new humanity, marriage is no longer about how can my spouse fulfill me. It's about how can I join with God to fulfill what God is doing in the life of my spouse. How can I join with God to fulfill what God is doing in the life of my spouse. All of a sudden, I'm like, I wish I had understood that when I got married. That is a huge thing. This isn't a utilitarian relationship at all. It isn't this relationship that's just about helping you accomplish your goals. And then when that relationship is no longer helpful, then, pri- pri- and then the priority of that relationship goes down. I remember I got married, me and Zach, we got married when we were 21. We were so little babies. Uh, we got married when we were 21, and within the first year of marriage, I remember, it was a hard first year of marriage, but in the first year of marriage, I realized that I had this expectation that I, now that I was married, I could get twice as much done, because I had another person to do the things that I, like, couldn't, account, like, he should just take on my, this is my to-do list. Now I have a second to-do list. You take these things and like now we can get twice as efficient, right? And it took a while to figure out like that is not the purpose of this marriage, right? That is not why we're in this together. And, and Paul is saying, what does it look like for us to approach a marriage and look at our spouse and say, oh my gosh, how can I help you fulfill what God is doing in your life. How can, I, how can I help? That's crazy. Paul is saying that your marriage, and, and every relationship in Christ, but, but specifically your marriage, is not about using one another. It's about submitting to one another. So we might help each other become all that Christ desires the other person to be. Whew, this is huge. And then Paul continues in verse 28. He says, In the same way, husbands, you ought to love, uh, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. And I don't know if you caught that, um, but, but in the same way that Paul redefined this idea of submission differently than we do in our culture, Paul is redefining headship. He isn't saying, like, hey, the husband is the head, just as Christ is the head, as a way to say, like, hey, the, he- the husband is the ruling, controlling agent of this relationship. That's not what he's saying. Uh, in fact, what he's actually saying is that there is no hierarchy in this type of relationship. You, you can't actually define marriage on an org chart. Like, it's too complex, it's too mysterious. Paul is saying that marriage is this divine mystery that refuses to be defined by hierarchies or org charts. Read verse 31 again. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's this divine mystery where two become one. Not just physically one, but spiritually they become one. And when two have become one, there's no part of one that is over the other part of one. They're one. There's no hierarchy in this oneness. Now, Paul talks about this again in another letter he wrote to the Corinthians, right, in, in 1 Corinthians, um, and he's addressing specific challenges that that church is, happening, is, is having, but he, he talks about this issue of headship again in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 3, and he says this, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And again, this passage has been used to sort of say, see, like, the man is the head, right? We read this and we sort of recoil and we, like, regurgitate something inside of ourselves. But what Paul is saying is that the husband is the head of the wife as God is the head of the church. Now compare headship, he's comparing headship in a marriage to the headship in the Trinity. The mystery of the Trinity... And the mystery of marriage, there's no hierarchy in the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit who are one. And you can't define the Trinity with an org chart. They're one. They're mutually submissive to each other. And what Paul is saying is just as that is happening with the Trinity, that is the divine mystery that is happening with marriage. They are one, and there is this selfless, life-giving love that passes between of them. Now, I want to highlight when t- Paul's talking about all of this stuff between a wife and a husband, there's actually no cultural details about how this plays out, right? There's no specific gender roles that are listed. Like, Paul didn't say this person's supposed to do the laundry, and this person's supposed to cook, and this person's supposed to fix the car, and this person mows the lawn. Like, he doesn't actually uh, say any of those things. He doesn't, he doesn't do that, and I think he does that on purpose, because all he wants to give is a principle. He sort of says, like, figure out the cultural implications for yourself. Paul's saying, listen, when you love each other, when you submit to one another, you're going to figure out the dynamics that work based on your unique gifting and needs. And it's this beautiful articulation of this picture of mutual submission. It's this picture of marriage. And it's one that is so radically countercultural to what it is that we often encounter. Now, here's the deal. I don't wanna like diminish this and be like, it's beautiful, it's beautiful, just do it. This is really hard. Like, this is really, really hard to do. And I think the most difficult part about it is because we are really unsure that if we submit to the other person, is the other person gonna submit back to us? Right, like, if I, let my husband decide the blue car. Is he really thinking about my best interest? Is, is he really going to do that? Right? And vice versa. If a husband says, I am going to pick what is in the best interest of my wife, is my wife going to submit to me? Right? This is really tricky because we're asked to do this thing and we're unsure if we submit to the other person, can we trust that other person is going to do that back or are they going to take advantage of us? Like, this is really hard, really hard. And going back to verse 21 at the very beginning, right, the principle that, lay, that, that, that lays this whole thing down is Paul says that this mutual submission flows out of reverence for christ now reverence in this context means fear but it's not like a fear like being afraid of what god's going to do to you like oh my gosh god is going to smite you if you don't submit right that's not that's not what we're talking about here Um, it's actually reverence is this kind of fear that's awe-inspired amazement about who god is and what he has done that reverence for Christ is being like, oh my gosh, you are so incredible. You laid down your life for This is awesome. And because of that, out of reverence for that, out of the awe-inspired amazement about what you've done and who God is, I'm going to mutually submit to another person. Notice that Paul doesn't say submit to one another out of reverence for one another, out of amazement for one another, because that's not going to happen. Like, when you get married, you know all the dirt, and you are no longer amazed by much, right? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we are to submit to one another because we are filled with amazement of about Christ what Christ has done on the cross we're filled with amazement about how Christ has submitted himself to our needs we're filled with amazement about how Christ can transform his people has transformed his people is transforming his people he's saying I want you to submit to one another because of the amazing thing that Christ has done in your life and knowing that Christ can transform the life of this other person also In other words, Paul is saying, listen, don't look to your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parent or your child or your employer or your employee as your Savior. Don't place that expectation on that relationship because that person can't be your Savior. They can't make you acceptable. They can't fulfill you in every way. And if you put that expectation on them, it will crush that other person, and it will crush you because you're placing that relationship and that person, or are placing on them an expectation that only Jesus can fulfill. And Jesus desires to make us beautiful. He desires to lay down and has laid down his life. He's done whatever it takes. He said, I'm willing to sacrifice for you in order to make you beautiful. I'm willing to sacrifice for you to the point that the others are also able to become something that they never could have become on their own. And Jesus sees how we are, and he desires to transform us. He also sees who it is that we can become. And Paul's saying the same type of love that God is calling for us to have for our husband or our wife or our kids or our friends, to lay down our life for each other, that we can do that because Christ has already done that for us. That we can risk maybe it not happening back because we know ultimately God has done everything for us. He sees us and he loves us and he's laid down his life for us. And so I know that for some of you, you may be stuck in a relationship right now or in the middle of a relationship right now where you're just like, I I don't know how to walk this out. I don't know how to turn the tables and submit. I don't know what they're going to do back. I don't know how all of this works. And for some of you, I would really encourage you, if you're in the middle of a marriage or a relationship, maybe with a parent or a child um, or, or a friend or whoever, and you're like, I, I don't know how to walk this out. I just want to like do a real quick plug right there. I really believe in counseling. That if you're not sure how to walk this out, that you find yourself in a stalemate where you can't figure out how to move forward. Like, I really believe that sometimes it takes somebody from the outside walking through a process with us to talk about how do I, how do I find healing in this? Maybe you've been hurt and you can't heal from it without walking through that process, but I just want to encourage you that it, it, when, we, when we read scripture, sometimes it can be like, yeah, just submit and it's all going to be fine. Sometimes you need somebody to walk with you and that other person through this process of figuring this out together. Um, But sometimes it looks like coming to Jesus and saying, hey Jesus, I don't know how to love this other person well, but I want to submit to them and I want to submit to you. And so will you begin to work in my heart today in order to walk this out? Let's go ahead and, and pray together. Father God, I am so grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful that you laid down your life for us. I'm so grateful that you look at us and you see beauty. And you see not just who we are now, but who it is that we can become. And that you are working to transform us. And so, Father God, as we walk that process together with one another, I just pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be transformed to be mutually submissive to each other that we would be a community that is marked by you. Father God, we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.